Coming up, half decent day for Boston sports fans. That's next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Uber Eats. Spring is here and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana, that's a no, but a banana, that's a yes. A nice tan, sorry, no, but a box fan, happily, yes. A day of sunshine, nope. A box of fine wines, yeah. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets, product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the Ryan Rosillo Podcast. You can find the Rewatchables. We have a new one going on Monday night. It is a big one. It is a big one. It's one of the biggest movies from the 80s. And we have the Prestige TV Podcast as well. Succession, episode eight. By the time you finish watching it, we will have that podcast up on the Prestige TV. It is a banger. Me, Sean Fantasy, Joanna Robinson. There you go. Coming up, part one of the two-part NBA podcast. Rosillo is here. We're going to talk about Celtics, Sixers, Game 7. First, our friends from ProJet. All right, we're taping this. It is uh, a little past 3.15 Pacific time. You knew somebody's kind of arrow was going to be over at the end of this game, and then somebody's arrow was going to be elevated. And I was leaning Celtics, but I wasn't positive, and you could have told me either outcome, and I probably would have believed that the Celtics pull away second half for Silo. Tatum puts up one of the great Game 7s in Celtics history, it's in the running for NBA history. The stakes were a little lower, and then Philly looks decimated. So I'll let I'll let you uh, I'll let you start. You want to start with Philly or Boston? No, I want to ask how you're doing. <sighs> well, you think like third quarter game six, and Tatum is one for fourteen with four turnovers, and it just looks like it has gone all time dark, and there was some sort of career crossroads happening in the moment that I'm still kind of recovering from mentally. And then he rises to the occasion in game in the fourth quarter of game six. And then it carries over to game seven. He was, that was the best I've ever seen him play. I mean, the Milwaukee game, game six, the stakes were a little higher almost because um, it felt like the NBA was more wide open last year. And it felt like they could maybe steal a title if they got past Milwaukee. Uh, this game, the stakes were a little more intense where it's like, if they, if they can't get by Philly round two, what happens to this team? Um, but Tatum was that, that was everything I ever wanted from the guy. I mean, offensively he was, 
just hunting for mismatches. He basically was working in bead like a speed bag, especially in the third quarter. Um, Mid-range game, layups, three-pointers, it was everything. And you could see it right away, right? <laughs> we sit here, we're constantly like updating every week, like where's this guy, where's that guy? And I know like the Booker-Tatum thing has been kind of defined for me here, but you know, when Tatum's one of 24 combined in the first half of game four, five, and six, one of 24, you're like, yeah. wait. Like, do I think too much of this guy? But then at the same time, you look back to the Milwaukee game you mentioned a year ago, 46 points down 3-2. You're like, well, if he has that in him, like where, like, can it come, can it come back at some point? It doesn't have to be 50 points. It doesn't even have to be 46. It's just like 35 and hitting big shots and not feeling like they're going to settle, which, you know, sometimes I think we're a little harsh about, but then also times when you're seeing it enough, you're like, okay, where's, where's the attack? And from the jump. Mm. Um, there was really only one moment in the game where Philly was putting together a little stretch there up like 30, I don't know, 33, 26. We were like, wait, is Boston going to have a hard time at home with this one? I, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I mean, I thought Boston was a better team throughout the series, but after game five, I was like, huh, you know, maybe this will be a turning point for a group in Philadelphia that hasn't, you know, given us uh, a lot to bank on. And, you know, Embiid still feels like though he's been in the league for a long time, he hasn't played as many years. So that always kind of confuses us all. Like, okay, what what level of expectation should we have for him? When he wins the MVP, you're expecting him to play much better than he did today. But yeah, uh, I, I just, I, you know, I don't like the Boston part of it when you're watching it all the time. You can't tell if it's just you watching your team more where you don't trust him or it's because you're so much more pissed off when they're blowing a lead and you're right. ignoring all the other times when teams all over the league are, are blowing leads. But in relation to like the Atlanta series, like two of those losses towards the end, it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And the game five part of it, and even for a good chunk of game six, you're like, you know, you're supposed to be better than these guys. You have more depth. You have multiple ways to attack where Philly's default can become a little easier to defend unless Embiid's just at another level energy-wise, which he definitely wasn't with the extra day off. I was kind of factoring that one went in, going, all right, Harden and Embiid, they have like the extra time off here. There's more of a gap between six and seven for this one. I think the right team won. I will, however, like I'm not sure if I'm penciling Boston into the Miami matchup until I see a non-independent study from Philadelphia regarding the officiating of Game 7. So I'm not sure what the missed call <laughs> numbers will be and that if Boston truly won this game today, mm. um, that was a shot at Daryl Morey. Yeah, listen, we're going to talk about Philly probably 20 minutes from now. Yeah. When they did that heading into Game 7, I thought that was a bad sign for Philly's Game 7. Yeah, that's not gamesmanship. That's whiny. And and then Doc before the game, same thing. Can't believe game six, still trying to process. And it was like, you guys are still thinking about game six? Two days off. It's game seven. You've already won in Boston twice in this series. You have the MVP of the league. Like, why are you whining? I watched game six. I felt like, I don't know, I felt like that was a pretty well-officiated game, both sides. This game was not well-officiated. I, I thought for either side, there were some really weird calls both ways, but it, it wasn't ended up not mattering. It, it, right, right. It ended up not mattering. I, I guess I'm just left with like, all right, four teams left. What do you think of Boston? And maybe whenever we think of title contenders, because Boston's the best team remaining based on the regular season, but those last, you know, those last few weeks of the regular season, you're like, man, what is going on with this team? And it's one thing if you're not good enough, right? It's one thing when you're like, oh, they've got a real quick, like they have options that are all very talented. And I know you've gone over all the Missoula stuff there, but 
it's it's a weird feeling of of trying to apply like what you've watched here for six plus months and go, all right, are they the clear favorite? Do you look at this Philly win going, all right, look what they did to that team in game seven with everything on the line. And now it's it's their championship. Like you felt way more confident, I think, last year about them. And I did this team. Yeah, I think this team's more talented, but clearly they don't have the defensive you know, profile that last year's team had that they could kind of always default to when they couldn't score. I mean, they're they're down to seven guys for these last two games. That's never a great sign. And I think White has really taken a couple steps back and there's some White stuff I want to talk about later. I think on the flip side... I don't know why race is involved, but... With Tatum getting involved with... Uh, <laughs> I just caught that sneaky joke. Uh, Tatum putting some chest hair on in, at the end of game six and game seven and what he did to the Sixers and what he did to Embiid, I think was really important for his career. You know, I, I think there's moments you have in life as an athlete, as a human being, where you kind of have to come through, you know, you can be like, oh, it'll be next time. It'll be, but that, every once in a while, there's a, oh, I actually have to, if there's something in me, I got to rise to the occasion here. And I felt like that was one of those fourth quarters for Tatum, even listening to the quotes about it that night and the next day where he really believed he was going to turn it around. You know, we've seen athletes, we've all sports when they hit that point and their sphincters shrink or they go sideways or they start making excuses or they look to get bailed out or they have the look that Harden had in the second half of the game today. Right. And Tatum fought through it and he got through it and he has the talent to be the best player in the league or one of the best players in the league. And as we've always said, he's he's been a 1B so far. You know, Booker is somebody that I felt like w- was creeping toward 1A, but then now you look at the way that Phoenix series ended and how last year ended and they got their asses kicked at home in two game sevens. You know, I don't know what that means for him. So he's clearly not there yet either. I think for Tatum, doing what he did in this game with how... Philly was just really, really worried about him getting going. And then he finally figured out how to get going. I got to give Missoula credit. I thought he coached a good game today. I think the adjustments they made in game six and game seven, they made Embiid. By the way, I was I didn't text this to you because I want to say this to you in the pod. If Boston did to Jokic in Denver what they did to Embiid today in that game, we would never hear the end of it about Jokic's defense, right? Because this is the whole thing. Oh, Jokic's defense is so much worse and people hunt him. And it looks bad when people hunt him. They made Embiid look as bad as you're going to look if you're a dominant player. He got annihilated, you know, and he had like three blocks in the first half. Great. He gave up like 35 points to Tatum and they, they couldn't hide him. And once Boston unlocked that, they unlocked the series, I thought. Uh, yeah, it's the stuff that he did to Embiid today was, you know, in a way, you're kind of like, what was what was the hesitation in trying to do this earlier? It felt like they hunted right. that more in Game Seven than at any other point, and maybe stuff happens in a game organically because I think it's just hard for any of these centers, any of these guys, to ask them to chase around any kind of ball handler, and then it depends on what everybody else is doing, and especially when it's somebody like Embiid who you want to make move, who you know always is going to look tired at certain times. I just think bigs after a certain number of minutes, like they're just going to look tired. And right, why especially you him, want to do that. he falls over so, and all that stuff. 
Right. I mean, the Jokic part of it, you're absolutely right. But again, at the same time, too, there's never a moment where I think you'd have a team just turning down layups like you saw Boston over these seven games or they would drive, get good angles and then be like, nope, I'm not going in there. Because when they did challenge and beat at the rim, I even thought there was a time where Rob Williams was driven baseline. I was like, just try to dunk it on him. Like, just see what happens. You know, get you'll probably get some free throws. And even he, Rob Williams, was like, nope, I'm good. Right. So that's but what Embiid always 25 feet have. from the basket, though, it's a little different. Totally, I, yeah. You know, and Rob Williams has that problem 20 feet from the basket, too. I think all big guys do because there's two things. One, they're going to be slower than the guy who's the ball. And then two, that rule about crashing into the guy or landing in their landing space and having them land on your feet, I think that's really hard when you're like a seven foot three, not quite as coordinated as Jason Tatum, right? Wait, you can't really jump out because you're either going to foul him or you might land it in space, whatever, and you got to be careful he's going to go by. It's a bummer for the Celtics that it took seven games for them to realize that that was the matchup, but at least they realized it, you know, and, and I thought for the most part, uh, I thought Jalen was, he didn't have that. Oh, I'm going to compete with this. Like he really backed off, especially in the second half. Like he was just in the corner and he was good with it. He just wanted to win. Same thing for smart. Smart never had any like, Oh, this is my, now let me get in on this. It just wasn't like that. It was like, this is our best matchup. Let's keep riding it. So I thought it was a good game. And then often uh, defensively, um, you know, they really, they did a decent job on that Harden and bead, which the whole league struggled with for seven months. And they figured out how to kind of unlock that one too. And Horford was great. But what did you see from what else did they do defensively that you noticed? Well, that third quarter stretch, I mean, the halftime score is 55-52 Boston. It's probably yeah. one of my favorite first halves I've watched of basketball all season long. The intensity, you know, the historic rivalry part of this, everybody kind of having some different moments and getting nasty a couple different times with Harden, yeah. with the flagrant, which, you know, it draws blood, so it, it looks bad. You know, I always think Harden's doing everything on purpose, but it wasn't like the most egregious thing. And on the other side, yep. you know, Niang grabbing Jalen, where... I don't, you know, I don't. How do you not get tossed for that? By the way, so I'm it, shocked. So yeah. The Phoenix Suns in the, in 07 when they went five feet off the bench, they got suspended the next game. But Niang gets to grab somebody who's in the field to play and pull his knee. I thought that was I've never seen that before. Yeah, Mark Jackson said it happens all the time. I don't know that I've seen it, it like does that. It? Well, because probably most of the players would have gotten back, but Jalen's like. No, goes at Niang, and you could tell Niang kind of knew he screwed up because he's the only one that doesn't stand up. And he yeah. stayed down. And I think he was hoping to not draw too much attention to him. They review it again, both technicals, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but but, the, but I, speaking the, of those the, calls, though, the flagrant elbow was, I mean, that was when things I thought really flipped. Because you mentioned it. Two free throws, they get a three, they get another one. It's 7-0. And then it was a two-point game. And from that point on, it didn't just didn't feel like Philly could score the same way. They also got lucky with the P.J. Tucker threes. I stepped on point, your answer, though, about the defense. No, I mean, at that point, they're up. Philly's up eight. And then I just remember, you know, looking at stuff and I'm, I'm writing it all down. It was this, the game entered this massive weird phase, which yes. I think is dangerous for anybody. And you that's why say, you enjoyed it, though, that you love the weird phase games. I love the weird phase, but there was a pace to this game that was completely interrupted from all the breaks. And I'm like, you know, Boston comes out, the energy's off the charts. And Crowd's I know great. we're going to get to some other stuff. And they're up 8-2. Then Philly, you know, to their credit, they answered immediately. And not like I think they were going to go down 20 to nothing because the, the crowd was so awesome. Um, and during this stretch, I was like, okay, who's going to benefit from this game getting clogged up? Because the other part of Harden, which I've been complimentary about, is as much as I don't like how, how it can all be in front of you when it goes slow, it 
it has an impact on the other team. It slows the other team down, and it slowed Boston's pace down a lot in this game. So it actually was something that, even though I hate from an offense, and we'll get to the Philly side of this a little bit later, uh, you know, Boston, I felt like, was victim of kind of getting trapped by this whole idea of slowing it all down. So I didn't I didn't have a feel for it, although, you know, Philly's up at this point, and then it kind of changed. But really, the third quarter, Bill, is the defense by Boston. The defensive intensity to make sure that on every catch, Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. The Embiid part of his game, whereas I don't have any PVSD on the MVP vote, it's just that there's a part of me, and I'd always look at those fourth quarter turnover numbers where he and Harden were the highest among any players in the NBA up there with Beal in those clutch moments, because I I just think unless you are, like you have to match the defense's intensity knowing like, hey, we know what you're going to do. We know where your catch is. You're still going to get a shot off. You're still unstoppable. We have to figure out a way to disrupt it. They disrupt it. That was a clinic that they put on in that third quarter. Philadelphia has 58 points on a hardened three um, with 8.02 to go in the third quarter. Their yeah, next what was it, point, like six and a half minutes almost? Their next point comes at 139. Oof. Yeah, and all of a sudden it was 80-58. Um, listen, part of the strategy was if these role guys are going to beat us, so be it. Like, and, and Tucker hit a couple of threes, right, in the first quarter, 11 points after the first quarter. They finished eight for 37 from three, the Sixers. And that was after PJ started out three for four. So for the rest of the game, they're basically five for 31 and everyone was missing. Harris couldn't make it. Melton, who couldn't make a shot in game six either. Uh, you go on down the line. And then Harden had 13 points in the, or I'm sorry, he had- no. Uh, no. He had nine I'm, points total. Embiid had 13 points in the, fir- the, in the first half. Yeah. And he finished. He had 15 with for the game. Yeah. 15 for the game. So that's not great. Harden was three for 11 for nine points. And I think we can safely add this to the, to the list of Harden games. But again, we'll talk about Philly next break. From a Celtic standpoint, the little things that worried me, White only played 12 minutes. I didn't like the quotes heading into game seven about uh, the Rob Watt Williams lineup and some of the guys saying like, this is, this is the lineup. This is the one that brought us here. And there was a lot of positivity. And then it was like, Derek's a great teammate and White's like, I'm just here to help the team. I didn't like how celebratory it was. And I, I do think it, it, my dad texted from the game. He was like, he's a little deer in the headlights. See. So I just feel like that guy's fragile. They need him these next two rounds. They gotta like, they gotta like rebuild him a little bit because as the playoffs, remember that first Atlanta game? He was like the best guy in the game. First two games, lit it up. And now it's now he's playing 12 minutes and he just doesn't seem like the same guy. Brogdon gotta go in the second half. Um and and I thought, you know, Smart was three for seven. I'd, I'd kind of rather have him in that range than the 10 for 19. You know what I mean? Although, for all the love that Tatum deserves for the fourth quarter of Game 6, that's one of my favorite Marcus Smart games ever because he was filling in the toughness gaps. And I'm not just talking about diving around or yep. all that kind of stuff. Like, he was he was making... Like, when they needed someone to try to carry them through the malaise that both teams were going through, Smart, his impact in Game 6 was incredible. You're talking Milwaukee Game 6, right? Or, or, no, 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 I'm talking three days ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was one of his best games he ever played. I loved it. Both ends. Um, the white thing, by the way, like, look at anybody's rotation. Oh, hey, what's going on with this guy? All right, this guy's falling off. I mean, it's same same stuff with, with any of these teams. Like, you're going to look and be like, oh, this guy. White's too good. He's been too good this year. I think they preferred 
Brogdon having a little bit more girth on some of the yeah. ball handling defense. Especially Harden. Yeah. Right. So so Tatum finished his halftime with 25. He was nine for 16. And my thought at halftime was, well, he can't sustain this. This makes me a little nervous. It's it's a three-point game. And he's, what is he going <laughs> to score 50 points? Well, he did. He scored 51. Uh, best, best Celtic home games ever, game sevens. I had some time during garbage time to actually make sure I had the right list here. This is on the list. This gets mentioned. This is a great list. This is Tommy Heinsohn, first Celtics title against the Hawks in 1957. Tommy Heinsohn, 37, fouls out, crying on the bench. Uh, Russell against the Lakers, game seven to win the title in 1962. 30 points, 40 rebounds. 30 points, 40 rebounds. You don't see a lot of 30-40s lately. Listen, this is why when Russell, when they do the GOAT conversation and Russell, the only thing they say is like, well, 11 for 13 titles. So you got to bet you Russell's like, nah, there's, there was actually more. Go look at his basketball reference. Sam Jones against Cincy, 1963, 47, the greatest Sam Jones game. Duel with Oscar Robertson. Then there's three Bird ones. Bird had the, the Knicks, 1984, the duel against Bernard, 39, 12, and 10. That was when Bird won the MVP, but people are like, well, Bernard's a real MVP. And he, Bernard was incredible that series. And then Bird goes, takes it up a notch. Bird against Detroit, game seven, 1987, 37-9-9. One of my personal favorite Bird games, two games after the steal. Everyone's hurt. Everyone. And it's like basically him against the bad boy Pistons. They win. Bird against Dominique, the duel, 1988. Only finished with 34 that game, which I forgot. I, in my head, it was like he had like 58 points. No, the sneaky one there is Dominique had more. Dominique had like 47. Right. And then the last one, Pierce versus Cleveland in 2008, when they uh, when he dueled LeBron, he had 41, and he wins the jump ball. When when it's him and LeBron going for the jump ball with like a minute left, and he wins the it PJ over Brown shot. PJ Brown. That, that that's a pretty fascinating game. Anyway. Tatum's on that list. He's on the list with Heinsohn, Russell, Sam Jones, Bird, and Paul Pierce. Pretty good. Well, of course he is. It's it's he just set the record that we just had like just two saying. weeks ago. Uh, just trying to try to lay out the stakes for you. Um, Russell, just a nice time to remind everybody: ten and zero all time in game sevens with a cool uh, nineteen and twenty nine. Well, even even in the nineteen fifty seven when they won the first title, he he threw in a nineteen and thirty two, just thirty two rebounds. First game seven ever. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. We'll talk about Philly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? Little double header, little NBA double header. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, five thirty, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at Michelobeultra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions. But right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover 
with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at HoneyStinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at HoneyStinger.com. All right. Well, I knew the second segment of part one was going to be, okay, what does this team do now? And we're going to do a lot of that in part two because we, since the last time we talked, the Warriors are done, the Knicks are done, the uh, the Suns are done, and now the Sixers are done. I guess Doc will be a fall guy for this, and I guess there's a door open now for Harden to just leave. I'm not sure the Sixers fans would be that upset about that. I guess my question for you, if you're just going to take those three guys, Harden and B, Doc, and I gave you the over-under of one and a half guys will be back, and you have to go over-under one and a half, would you go over-under? Harden, Doc, and Bead. I'd go over. Over. Okay. Why? Well, uh, I know this will be my theme probably for a lot of the off-season stuff we do, which isn't as entertaining and probably annoys you, but I don't mean to do it. But I'm not I think- annoyed. Okay, yeah. I'm having a good time. My team just won by 30 points. I feel great. (laughs) I want to do the Chris Ryan, Wayne Jenkins. Like, God damn, Jason Tatum, you had flame shooting out of your ass. My God. Anyway. Uh, I think an hour after a team's eliminated is like the worst time to start planning, you know? And I, it's just the amount of like emotional swing that Sixers fan base has gone through here where, you know, I thought... Maybe game five, like, okay, is it finally going to happen? I mean, this has only been a decade for Harden. You'd think he'd be fucking due for, like, right. one. And, you know, game game one, he he did everything you could imagine. He's got the two game winners, like, coin toss games. You're like, all right, you got both of those. Uh, we know two and three were duds. And it was the first thing I was looking for tonight. This is the first thing I was looking for. And I'm telling you right now, he was scared to death again. Don't listen to anybody. I know you said earlier he disappeared in the second half. He was gone from the jump, man. Like, I was looking at it going, all right. Um, I thought he was scared in the fourth quarter of game six, too. And I watched it again after did the pot. I thought the same thing. I was like, ah, he doesn't want this. The thing is, is that P.J. Tucker's making all these threes. He's got 11 points, like, minutes into the game. And you're going, okay, well, like, no one's going to point out this stuff. Um, And then Harden had, like, a layup and kicked it out. P.J. hits a three. He had one to Maxi where he was wide open. I was like, he doesn't, he does not want to go to the hole. He had an alley oop to Tobias Harris in the first quarter where it didn't even have a chance. And then when he finally decided to kind of go, he got blocked and then he got an awful foul call against White there later on, where Mark Jackson famously went, There's contact there. And then he was like, Maybe I maybe I'm wrong about this. So uh, you know, Sixers fans that would say, Hey, Embiid really is that guy. We'll get to the. I, I'm. I want you to do the Embiid part. I'm just going to do the Harden part first. Where you know, look, man, this is this is why I feel the way I feel about him. The reason why I've talked about him and why I think when he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, an official should present him. Um, because he this this is what he does. Like, it doesn't mean he's going to have a bad game like this all the time. But it's so overwhelming. There's so much overwhelming evidence that something. Is not like everybody's heard this rant from me before, so I'm not. I don't even need to do it again. And even having saying all those things, like Daryl Morey is the guy that waited for him outside of the plane. You know, he's yeah. had it twice, right? He's had him twice, and I'm sure he still doesn't want to lose the asset 
because that's kind of the op. And that's why, like, when a lot of times it's like, oh, this guy's going to go, this guy's going to go, this guy's going to go, this. You're like, okay, for what? Now, would Harden just bail altogether so he can have his own team in Houston and there's actually, like, no pressure on him whatsoever? I Look, maybe there'll be an elimination game, like, I don't know, in a big three tournament seven years from now where he he closes it out. But he's just a really hard guy to bet on. He's a really hard guy to bet on. I don't think that's some ludicrous statement, yet people treat it as such when he has what he had in game one and game four. I saw a guy from the beginning of this game. I went, uh-oh, Embiid's, Embiid and Max, all these other guys are going to have to pick him up because he is completely taking himself out of it immediately. Three for 11. He had five turnovers. Most of them were in the first uh, two and a half quarters of the game. Okay, but and how then about he the got one, super safe after that. Right. And then he he had one after the timeout. We came back from commercial. We weren't even like out of foot. We weren't even in full screen and he lost it. And then yeah. he had another one. And these are the ones that make me sick is he knew he screwed it up. He just threw it out of bounds to the, to his left and he just fell down in the paint and then put his arms up <laughs> and you go like, like what, who do you want to help you right now, man? Like you got to get yourself out of this. And somebody who's so propped up by the officials for so much of his production, which again, he's that good, but I don't know, like I, I, whatever he, he'll, he'll, have have him, like, he'll have like a really good game. Like he'll put up a bunch of numbers and somebody will be on TV and everybody will come at me again. And I've been dealing with this for like however many years I've been talking about this stuff. And I just go like, Hey, he's actually due to have an awesome game seven. And I still won't feel wrong. Right. I should, maybe we should have done this uh, TV style. Right, I just could have started part the the second segment. James Harden was atrocious. He was atrocious. Put the he camera on. Good. Me. Put the camera on me. James Harden. This James, is a message. We for called you. out James. Yeah, we yeah. called out James Harden after Game Six. This is a message for you, young man. <laughs> um, like he's had a different phase of his career too, and the reality is he had two awesome games. Game one and Game four, he was awesome. He was awesome. And and unfortunately, you know, whether you're an athlete or you're in other professions that rely you to be, if you're going to be great, part of that greatness is consistency. And I just don't think he can be consistently really good anymore. I think he could do it in the, you know, 2016 and 19 range where two, three times a week, he could probably get there. Now, it, now he can't, not to but, mention all the other stuff that comes with him. Right. But like of the top, top guys, which we'll have to redo the list after this run is over here. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's an Anthony Davis back in it. Uh, you know, I don't know what LeBron's <laughs> going to look like in, in two more. Maybe he can figure this was, thing out. He was it's so un- good in game six. Oh, my right. God. He was so good. And LeBron was so good at the start of the third quarter where that was like a guy that knew. was like, do not screw around with this. Keep Let's keep our intensity maxed He's, out here it's amazing. so that they don't feel good about themselves going to the next one. And I thought it was like, I don't care what the numbers were for LeBron. It was awesome. But like the Jokic numbers, he's in that group. Um, maybe LeBron still is. I don't know. Steph is to me. Like, I don't care about his shooting numbers in game seven because nobody else did anything. So Steph just started bombing away. It was very clear, like, oh, he's going to have a bad shooting night on paper, but he's still going to get his points. But like, this isn't, oh, Steph couldn't make enough shots. That's not the story of what game six was. So then that next group, right? I, I, you know, I don't know what the final list of it will be, but. Giannis yeah, should be in that first group just because. Of course, of course. Right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing this guy. off a top yeah, yeah. of my head just kind of thinking about guys there's, but like there's some other floaters who can look like they should be in that group depending Jamal on Murray. what game you catch him yeah Jamal Murray's probably one of those guys where it's like when he's right like game one you're like how come this guy isn't you know we're all doing the same shit but 
I know that in my head, I, I kind of have it all mapped out. And like, look, I don't need Harden to be game one, game four Harden. I need game seven Harden to be somebody that seems up for the challenge. Just be up for the challenge. And the way he took himself out of this, man, and I think Embiid sees it. You know, I think Embiid, and look, we'll, I want you to go on the Embiid part of it where it's not just, hey, bad game, let's trash this dude who shouldn't be MVP because I don't want to do any of that stuff. But I, I think the teammates, look, other teams in the past with Harden, they were like, oh, no. Sucks the life out of you. I went to the Clipper game when they took him out when the season was over and then they came back and the Rockets ended up beating the Clippers and he was on the bench most of the time and for 20 minutes there uh, had a towel on his head. The Embiid part, so, and this is not an injury excuse, but it's going to sound like an injury excuse because I had I had multiple people I knew at the game and that play went smart when he uh, when he landed stepped on, on him Smart. When they smart called that late. for the foul. <laughs> when Embiid stepped on Smart and it was a foul on Smart for lying prone on his back. The consensus from people at the game was that he tweaked his knee again and that he had no lift after that. Um, I, that doesn't change the fact that he got toasted by Tatum and and I think that would have happened regardless of what kind of lift he had. But he wasn't the same after that happened. And I haven't, neither of us have rewatched this game. But I do think that there's a before and after of him in this game combined with Tatum gets hot, Harden's checked out, nobody in the team can hit a shot. They had a lot of wide open threes in that third quarter, even though they they were on 58 points for six minutes. They had a lot of shots that were just wide open. Like Melton must have had three wide opens. Maxi had wide opens. They just couldn't make anything. But uh, but I do think he would he was a little tweaked. He was 0 for 4 from three. He was five for 18. It's not a great game. Uh, and I thought him not getting the ball in the last five minutes of game six was also pretty weird. Um, in general, if you're gonna say, like, all right. Let's give out the rankings or let's give out the grades for each guy in this series. Like for Embiid, I don't know, B minus, C plus. I didn't, I, I certainly wouldn't be telling my grandkids about this series if I'm him. I thought he got hurt in game six. Like I thought it's possible. when he was going for his leg, I'm like, oh no, like is he hurt? And let's be honest too, there's also certain players in this league that are very theatrical about, and I don't even mean like from a flopping thing or like when LeBron gets hit in the head and it's like, all right, we're all going to chill out here for about six minutes. That happened in um, game six. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Embiid necessarily does that, but there, there are certain players that like, even like just the, they get hit in the ribs or they get hit something. And it's like, they're going to feel it. They're going to touch it, you know, whatever. They're just going to keep messing with it. And I couldn't tell if like, it was just him being nervous because everything he's been dealing with here, or yeah. if that was the total story. But look, he's he's got to be better against the double team that he's not anticipating. Okay? So right. whatever the numbers are, he's got the MVP, and there are times where you are completely helpless. I'm sure Celtics fans, you know, the number of times where you watch this series where you're like, dude, he's catching at the free throw line into the shot. It goes in every single time. There's nothing you can do with him. But the biggest flaw in his game, which gets you so pumped when the other side is like, oh, wait, if I like, if he's not looking and I run up from behind, like he's, he's never, he's never accounting for these other things, this other help. And you think he'd actually get better and more used to it over the course of a series. But it was almost like the Jalen Brown stuff last year against Miami against Golden State. It's like, oh, wait, when this dude tries to like kind of get into traffic, go right. down and just get the lunge ball, at the ball. Cause he's not, well, this tight is what with the we basketball. talked about last year with the, Playoffs versus regular season, when you see it for two straight weeks, it becomes totally. easier to know what to do. And I do feel like they really, 
they really made some solutions with the Embiid at the free throw line stuff. And the other thing they're doing, they're attacking him from like 35 feet too. They're trying to just make it harder for him to even get in position. Horford was early, yeah. amazing. Um, as as we're taping, I'm just going, I just went on Twitter to see if like there was any sort of crazy thing that anyone said. And there's a tweet from Chris Mannix two minutes ago. James Harden asked about his relationship with Doc Rivers and if he wants Rivers back, says, quote, our relationship is okay. <laughs> How would you interpret that one? Hey, look, we should just to interpret the quote. You're better on this than I am. Like, would you ever think that Doc was Daryl's guy? I mean, he's not the typical Daryl guy, but Daryl had like Kev McHale, you know, on the Rockets, which I, I guess would kind of be in that Doc wheelhouse. I don't. I voted Doc third for coach of the year. I thought he did a really good job during the season. I think this is a really hard team to coach to have Harden and Embiid. And, you know, Mike Lombardi, who used to work with us, he's talked a lot about the culture that's existed in Philly since they started the process and the excuses and um, all about like just accumulating assets versus actually trying to build some sort of sustainable culture. And they've never been able to do it. Right. They they never got to round three the entire time of this whole whole Philly process. And with Embiid, you know, they were so gung-ho on pushing for him for MVP. And it it just it, like to me, I don't I just care about the titles. Like that's it. I how far can you go in the playoffs is all that should matter, you know? And and it's just the whole culture of it is I think is really kind of askew in Philly. Would you agree with that or no? You're oh, making a face. Uh, no, because I'm trying to. I've had a You're segment to be in diplomatic? my head. No, I've had a segment in my head for a few weeks, but I'm not going to do like a nasty. Hey, they lost Game Seven. But I, I would say this. Like, I don't know if it's a Daryl Morey thing or what, but the whole deal in Houston was it was somebody else's fault. The 2018 loss to the Warriors. They send out this study of all the calls that cost them all these points because it had to be somebody else's fault, right? Had right. To be, couldn't, couldn't be that we weren't good enough that night or we weren't good enough that week. It is somebody else's fault. Okay, whatever. Um, and then you, since he's been in Philly, you know, Embiid, oh, he can't win the MVP. All right, well, I'm going to cry about it on Twitter all the time. All right. The same way he cried about it when Harden didn't win MVP against Westbrook that year. You know, and he's using the same arguments that he was countering with different guys. Like, oh, I thought this mattered. I thought this mattered. And then when it's his guy, whatever. And I get it too. Like the job of the GM, especially in today's NBA, ownership on down, is you get to kiss the ass of these guys. Yeah, right? I have your you back have, at all times. Daryl is great at it. I had there is no dispute. I have your back. So whenever you're not feeling it and you may want to come up here and ask for a trade, it's gonna be a harder ask for you because I've had your back every single time. But then, you know, obviously I was personally pissed off about Daryl going on Philadelphia radio and saying that all of us Boston guys didn't vote him be a starter when all of us actually did. And he's just pandering to his guy and, and having fun on a local radio deal. But he was just wrong. It was a lie. And then Embiid kind of like, I feel like was impressionable with that stuff because then Embiid spent two years acting like the world was out to get him. And it's like, look, I'm sure yeah, you're Everyone right, loves Embiid. 
Yeah, including both of us. I love that beard. His approval rating is so much higher than he thought it was. And then Harden, you know, doesn't make the all-star game. And you're like, well, you thought you were going to make it. It's like, oh, the disrespect continues. There seems to be some triangulation theme here where every time any one of those guys, it doesn't work out for him. By the way, you left out Doc. I hadn't even started yet. I, I, well, no, but I mean, if you're talking about the triangulation theme of people just complaining about different stuff, I think Doc has kind of done that as famously as any coach. He even did it before game seven. It's it's his one flaw. It's it's a lot of, it's a lack of accountability at, at, at times of crisis that I think has undermined him over the years to some degree. And let's be totally fair to the league and not, it's not even necessarily specific to Pete Harden yet, but um. You know, these these guys in this generation, they think everybody's out to get him because they can see information that says everybody hates him all the time, right? Or Twitter um, replies, and, Reddit threads, right. whatever. And Bede is not the first, you know, I've always kind of pointed this out. I think at like 1.8 of the top 10 players all had different ad campaigns and every single campaign was based around how disrespected they were. Like this became part of the marketing of every one of these dudes. But, you know, look, I don't... John ja- ja Morant's not one of the... 10, no, two out of John, 10. He's John, in the two out of 10. Okay. John's in another, another category now. I Like even game five, they win game five. And how much time did they all spend on the Tatum push-off on Maxi? Where I would say, hey, you're right. They missed a call. It was a push-off by Tatum. How can you have any, how can you sit there and look yourself in the mirror when Harden is on your team and you're complaining about a push-off, which doesn't work. Yeah. Nobody's going like, hey, you know what? Let me be. So, yeah, I mean, it's a thought. I'm, I'm trying not to be nasty about it, but I, I, there's probably a nastier version of this this rant that I have in me, but I'm not going to do it. Where you just kind of go like, when do you guys ever go? Hey, we're not good enough. We need to be better. Or are you just going to like? Or is there something coming this week where we're going to find out? Oh, these were all the missed calls, games one through seven, or this happened, or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's you. It's also it's always somebody else's fault. Is another thing. Yeah. A lot of people have now passed through this and bead vortex. And, you know, the Milwaukee series is as close as they came to get into round three. And they lost, it would have gone to overtime, but they lost on a really tough shot. But he wasn't awesome in that series. The Atlanta series to me is the unforgivable one. And this one, Boston was more talented. And I actually think them getting to seven when Embiid was playing a little bit hurt and not even in in game one was more of a reflection of, uh, of just how kind of messed up Boston was and how they were still, they had a coach that was still trying to figure out how to do this on this stage and make adjustments and basic stuff we take for granted. I don't think this should have been a seven game series and Philly almost stole it, but ultimately they weren't good enough. And if you have Embiid and Harden as your two best guys, I think this is your destiny. It's round two, right? I, you know, maybe, I mean, unless you get something weird that could have happened in the East this year, you know, on the other side of it, I, I mean, it's, I wouldn't look at those two guys and go, it's impossible because it, it is possible based on the fact that a game seven even happened today, you know, and it's sports, who knows, you wake up, you're feeling a different way. You hit some I'm not saying shots, it's impossible. I'm just saying right. this is, this felt like a round two teeth to me, right? Here, here's look, the list of players that I look at saying this person is incapable of getting to like an NBA finals or an Eastern conference finals. I, I might not say about like two or three guys a decade because I, you know what I mean? Like, even though the argument, it's an easier one to win because all you have to do is hope the guy doesn't win a title. It's a very, very short list of people that I feel like definitively are incapable of getting past that. And even with this Embiid part, where now it's going to be a real summer where, hey, guess what? When you thought everybody was against you, like, 
welcome because yeah. now now it's going to be rough this summer, rough going into next year, all that kind of stuff. I don't know that I would look at Embiid and say, well, he's somebody that's incapable of getting there. I don't think that's fair. Uh, I think they need to be more careful with him in the regular season. And if anything, the he's well, not that he has he the MVP, you know. Well, I he imagine. should probably be a fifty to fifty-five. Just really try to have him peak in the in the last couple rounds. Uh, let's take one more break, and then I have one more thing I want to hit about this, and then I'm going to talk Miami Boston. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. So Philly's at this point that we see with NBA teams from time to time, usually with stars, where they feel like they're on the clock and it becomes a question of, are we just throwing shit against the wall now because we're afraid our guy's going to go or are we trying to build something, right? And if you're Philly and Harden's going to be a free agent, I would not feel great about paying him you know, do the extension of it's like 180, 200 million, whatever it is. Um, what we've seen NBA teams do to their detriment in years past would be to then, I'm panicking because I'm scared of this result potentially happening. So here's my panic move to try to stop the result, right? It's the equivalent of the unhappy couple deciding to have a kid because maybe if we bring a kid into this, it'll, it'll make everything better. Now we'll be bonded by this kid. It'll work out great. I Guess can't what? wait to do that. Usually doesn't work out great. <laughs> Someday. Can only dream. My my fear for Philly is is the Hail Mary trade or move. Is it like a Dame Lillard and it's Maxi and it's the Harris expiring and it's a million picks and it's whatever else assets you can throw into that. And then you try to figure out can you sign and trade? Hard in Houston, or like, is there some sort of mechanics where you end up with Dame and Embiid? Either Harden stays, or you turn him into whatever, and you just kind of keep your fingers crossed that this will work. Because I feel like that we could be headed down that road. The other one is the Knicks are just waiting for Embiid to say it's time for me to go. Um, they have their relationships. They have Leon and Wes, who were his guys. They've been waiting for this moment right now. And it's here. And the Knicks just lost in the playoffs. And, you know, do they feel good about Brunson? And that's it. But they could just do the over package, right? They'd be like, what? You name the price. Okay. It would basically like uh, Ishbia with KD. Oh, you want Bridges and Cam and four firsts and a pick swap? Great. I have Kevin Durant. Awesome. And the Knicks are kind of in that mode. So if you're the Sixers, that's door B. Door A would be the panic, try to keep Embiid happy, go in on Dame. Or door C is just re-sign Harden. Let's be smart. We lost to a really good Celtics team. We'll change the coach and that's what we'll do. If you had to pick one of those three doors for what's going to happen, what would you pick? Because the co- it's always the coach. It's the easiest one to do. And it's usually like, Kind of unfair, um, but Doc has a playoff resume that it's tough to defend, Yeah, even with the title, which now 15 years ago. So yeah, 
I yeah, Kendrick I Perkins was on that team playing playing minutes. <laughs> I was That's how long ago like, it was. It's the same as the quarterback thing. Like, do you know how many? Like, there's a whole nother set of changes before Justin Fields is. Wait, is it Justin Fields? You know, you it, if you're right. a fan of that team and you've taken a quarterback in the top ten. You're going to blame the coaches. You're going to blame the system. You're going to blame the weapons and you're going to replace them all and you're going to blame them again because it hurts way more the idea that maybe the guy they took isn't good enough. And I don't even mean that specifically about Fields because I still don't know how good he's going to be. No, I thought Fields was a great example. The ballsy example would have been Herbert if you had gone there. If you just just put that one out there. But I think Fields was the right pick. I think we know what Herbert's going to be at least for ten yeah. years. The position sure. with Fields, I'm still I don't know, but yeah, what it's is a it? lot. It's a lot easier, and it's a lot more fun if you're a Bears fan to be like, yeah, it's not the guy. Like it's not the right. guy. So you do the same thing in basketball with your stars. You know how many Philly fans right now? I don't even have to look. I already know what's being said. Uh, running the wrong stuff. Should have done this. Whatever. You know, could have done all these different things. I'm like, I don't know. Then Bead. I thought they tried a bunch of different stuff to try to help him be defensively. They told him to get up on Tatum. He got burnt. He told him to lay off Tatum. He got burnt. Um, they were trying to. Yeah, they like, tried zone in this series. They tried everything. <laughs> they tried a bunch of different stuff, and Tatum decided to become superhuman in Game Seven at the worst possible time for him. I'm look the same way. Why when you get on Missoula, and I don't get on him as much because I think it's part of our basketball personalities. I looked at Tatum's games four, five, and six. I'm like, how? Like, I get it. You're right. You're right about some of the rotations that we argued about in March, you know, because I'm kind of playing devil's advocate, especially in the Marcus Smart stuff where I'm like, I just don't know that there's many coaches, especially one that's 34, bails on the starting point guard from a team that was in the NBA Finals, even though you were right about Derek White being the better player. Um, So I wasn't... And now that's flipped. Yeah, right. Smart's back. I I mean, he must have been hurt. My thing is, he must have been hurt in the February-March range because he actually looks like Marcus again now. Well, maybe he just had a, a bad month. That's possible too. But like, whenever I look at some of these dudes were, I'll be like, you guys want the coaches fired before the players that can't execute any of this stuff, but you can't fire the players. So uh, yeah, if you gave me the over-under, I think that they Daryl would want to protect the asset, even if Harden doesn't look like a great long-term investment. Um, I would, you know, I, I would. he's not somebody I'd want to get in business with. But at the same time, you always have to worry, Bill, about Harden. Like Houston did everything for him, catered to him, did everything they wanted. I, I went back, I mean, because I'm an idiot, but I was looking at, the quotes when Steven Stylus got the gig and they were like, yes. <laughs> Ian Westbrook talking about how great it was going right. to be. Both of them were like, see ya. So even right. if you're the Sixers and you think, hey, Daryl has a connection with Harden that's beyond anybody else, I don't know. I, I, Is there a possibility they get rid of Daryl and Doc? Uh, I don't think he could be ruled out. I don't know if they would do. I don't know. I don't know. You would. Uh, I think you would know that better than I would. I've I've not heard anything on the Daryl thing. The Doc stuff would just. Be- I'm honestly with Philly. I'm prepared for anything. And Ruben's not there anymore. He's out. Right. He he divested his stake and right. the guy who runs Fanatics, who was kind of seemed like the glue guy for a lot of this stuff. I there's a world where they just blow everything up and Daryl Daryl stays and it's like we went as far as we could go with this group. He trades Embiid for 170 cents on the dollar. They let Harden leave, maybe get some sort of sign and trade thing from Houston um, and just kind of reboot and tank for a couple of years and do it that way. I don't know how well that would go over with the Philly fan base because they did that for four uh, years in the 2010s. Yeah. I, I'm just giving you all the scenarios. My I know guess you are. is <laughs> My guess is that they will get a new coach and that they will make a big stink about getting a third star. 
It's my guess. No inside info. And it'll be a lot of Dame Lillard. Well, you know him and Embiid. They had dinner once four years ago. Prime 123. Prime 12. What's that place in Miami? Prime. Been there many times. Prime 112. Prime 112. Been, they've been at Prime 112. They love each other. They both like lobster. I always love when like celebrities are in LA or Miami. It's like, man, he wants to go to the Heat, wants to go to the Lakers. But like, no, he wants to go to fucking Los Angeles or South Beach because he's a young, rich dude. Miami <laughs> was great. Uh, like, can you believe who was in the Lakers attendance? Yeah, I can. I can. Yeah. It's fucking sick can- out here if you're 25 and loaded and famous. Kendall Jenner was courtside with Bad Bunny. You believe that? Yeah, I actually do. They live here. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Philly, but I think it's such an interesting convo because rarely do you see these situations where every scenario is on the table, right? Embiid could be traded. Harden could be traded. Embiid can't be traded. I I don't think, I don't think Embiid being traded is such a small, like, are you serious with that? You think that's even like 1% in play? Oh, I think that's like 50% in play, but it's not a Philly thing. It's an Embiid saying, I'd like to be traded. This off season. Yes. I think it's in play. What about all the nice tweets? I'm just saying, we <laughs> we live in a world in the NBA where every year one third of the superstars become unhappy and ask for a trade. Sure, you're he right. just had an unhappy playoff exit, so he's on the list. It's like I'm pro, I'm superstar trade profiling. That would be a fun segment. Superstar trade profile. Uh, did you have an unhappy exit? Have you had a couple unhappy years in a row? Are you thinking the grass might be greener? Are people in your life saying, man, you got to get out of there? Blah, blah, blah. Like he checks every box for, I'm unhappy, get me out of here. On the flip side, the Philly fans love him and he seems like he genuinely loves being there. I'm just, I don't I, think he I'm checks every box. box. He doesn't check every box. You're right by the rule. Like you and I in the Times will talk, you're like, man, it's been four months. Since four months since guy. we've had an unhappy right. trade since, request. Right. Well, who do you think it'll be? Like, I don't know. I mean, Kyrie's always a safe bet, but. We, Bill and I will have these moments be like, holy shit, do you have your quiet ticker? What day are you on? Be like, I'm on day 153 without an incident. You're like, like, we oh can have the, the tweet tomorrow that Luka Dacic has decided he's unhappy and he wants to leave Dallas. I'm always on call. I'm like a doctor. I'm on call 24-7 for the unhappy trade request. And it's hard for me to rule that out with Embiid. I just is. Uh, the international theory of mine, of, of it's usually not like the international this. players. Um, yeah, it's a great thing. But eventually, like, there's going to be an international star of of the guys that we talk about that eventually is going to go, you know what? Maybe I'll do this and just be like, I'm out of here as well. Uh, oh, I have a good sec- good mini segment for you right now. Go ahead. Your top three draft picks for who slid into Embiid's DMs today because they want to play with him. <laughs> Yo, tough loss. <laughs> Why didn't you get the ball more in game six? That wouldn't have happened if I was on your team. The, the rest are out to get you guys in game six. Man, you're so talented. I can't believe you can't. You haven't gotten to the finals yet. Man, I would love to play with you. Uh, uh, Kyrie, and then Joel sex, says, well, where are you going? And Kyrie's like, I might retire. But if I don't. Kyrie's like, <laughs> right, now I'm, right now I'm on Mars. I think Beal definitely slid into the DMs. Dame can't be ruled out. Um, trying to the Beal one makes a lot of sense because the the connection with the trainer. But uh, well, as as I said this, I was blue in the face two years ago. But 
those were the two guys that wanted to play each other before they made that Harden trade. And Beal hurt his wrist and he ended up getting the surgery and it got taken off the table. But I still feel like that's a pretty good sliding door what if for this Philly dynasty. And then the Ben Simmons piece is the other crazy piece. I mean, you think about Embiid's career, it's just been a bizarre series of checkpoints, right? I think I voted for Ben Simmons' third team on NBA twice. Twice. Twice, I decided he was one of the best 15 players of the league. <laughs> we should and make a shirt that just says that. now he's basically out of the league. It's like 25. I want to make, make a ringer shirt that just says, I voted for Ben <laughs> Two Simmons Two-time third team Ben Simmons voter. Yeah. Um, um, you know, look, the Ben Simmons stuff is... like. Remember we were talking about when Philly started putting this together, they sweep Brooklyn... You know, the whole deal, however, the the roller coaster of emotions throughout this series against Boston. And I'm looking at it going like, Daryl took a guy that was never going to play for them again and has been a complete, you know, what's, you know, you want to add to the stuff that I was reading. I actually went back and read a Brooklyn Nets grade, like a full season's over. Let's give oh. everybody on the team a grade. Ben Simmons I was looking. Ben Simmons get a D from this writer. A D? Which, which I thought was amazing. Because <laughs> he was saying, he was like, you know, when he gets out and transition the passing, and he was like, that's going to bump mm. him up. He had no a nice, F. that stretch in December. Uh, <laughs> so Another no, Chris Mannix. Oh, go ahead. But, but the part about Daryl that I do admire the hell out of is that when it comes down to the trade stuff, like he doesn't, he doesn't lose very often. He doesn't give in. And when so many other GMs would have been like, all right, this guy's not playing. And so as you saw Harden, whatever version of him you were seeing at the time, based on what your muted expectations may have been later on in the calendar year, you're like, man, he turned a like a zero into Harden, who even at a diminished Harden is good enough to like be yeah. in the all-star conversation because, you know, he's still so talented. So um I, I do wonder if he could have gotten Halliburton though. Because I know he could have gotten Sabonis, and I'm sure there could have been, I don't know, some version of that. Simmons had a lot of trade value a couple of years ago. Oh, you know, wait. He was before... in that conversation. Yeah, he was in the Halliburton. Like, you had the minimum, the floor on a Simmons trade was Halliburton or Sabonis. That was the floor. That was the worst they were going to do in a trade. You know? Um, Manic I just think. Tweet. I just think for this. Hold on. Hold on. I just think yeah. for the exercise that we're doing here, I think we should. Like you're only presenting Embiid trade scenarios in the Embiid surprise out of nowhere. I'm oh, good. Oh, hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Okay. With no ambiguity at all. This is Embiid deciding. I'm unhappy. I'd like right. to go. I still don't think that's who he is. Uh, watching that MVP ceremony, that would be really surprising. Uh, but I but would you uh, be surprised by any player in the league though? I at this point I'm just Peyton Pritchard. Cur Curry would be <laughs> Curry and Peyton Pritchard. Mannix tweeted uh Joel Embiid still in uniform now after the game, addressing reporters now. Quote, we missed a lot of shots. I thought for the most part we played hard. That's the best team in the league. Not positive I agree with that, but they did uh, not play hard in that third quarter stretch where they were throwing it out of bounds. I thought, they, I thought they, they visibly quit. Yeah, I wish yeah. I'd gone to the game because I really would have been body language doctor would have been out with the fucking with the scrubs on, just going nuts. No, they were a mess. They were a mess. So I don't think they played hard past five minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah. Uh all right. Let's do Celtics Heat really quick. 
you started coming on the pod all the time again, I think <laughs> mid-February, and I was whining about the zombie heat. And I was like, I know we're going to end up playing these guys. Oh my God. Uh, and then it looked like they were going to just get bounced for the playoffs. And now all of a sudden, it's the zombies against the Celtics. Last time it goes seven. This time, Celtics are favored. I think the Celtics have a better team. You took you took out Tyler Hero, who I'm sure they're going to regenerate his what what's, what was his shooting hand? They'll just regenerate uh, some finger on his hand, so he'll be out there for Game Three. Like I'm already penciling Tyler Hero. It's like oh, we weren't going to see him in the finals. He's playing in this series. Put him in. Um, but they have these lineups where they're playing Kevin Love and Duncan Robinson together as rim protectors and shit like that, and it feels gimmicky. And at the same time. Butler and Bam are really good and they have the best coach in the league. They can win in Boston. They're not afraid of Boston. And this is a nightmare scenario for a matchup where Boston's favored and could just get outthought and out executed unless they can come to the epiphany sooner than they did in this Philly series. That's my take. Uh, I mean, this run has to be over now, right? The Miami run? Yeah, I look. I, I could sit here and give them all sorts of compliments. They are the best coach team. To see some of the stuff that was Spo was doing in the Knicks, it's like, oh wait, you're going to play without RJ, uh, or excuse me, you're going to play without Randall and Brunson at the same time. Well, we're going to go to zone, and your guys are going to stare at each other. Oh, you're going to play Brunson 48 minutes. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to pick him up full court almost the entire yeah. game and wear his ass out, which still almost didn't happen, which is how great Brunson was in this thing. Um, oh, you're going to you're gonna do, like, you're going to run Brunson on one side, and you're going to do it late. Oh, you're going to send a hard double at Jimmy Butler, closing time, a game six. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to throw it out to an outlet, and then we're going to give it right back to him as your defenders are scrambling off the hard. They are so smart. Uh, there is no argument about the Spo part of it. And funny enough, this offense that was the worst of any of the playoff teams, they're fifth best in offense, and they're actually five points better per 100 possessions this year on offense than they were last year, where they were a bucket away from playing for an NBA title. So and they play really well together, which yeah. is just weird, but they, they just do. They just Caleb Martin deserves all sorts of love. Every time, you know, throughout this playoffs, I'm like, this guy's tough. You know, Struess is good for like a weird 11 point quarter out of nowhere. Love's actually been a real dude for them at times. Bam, I know offensively isn't maybe the level that we want him to be for all the love that we give him, but that's kind of just who he is. But at the same time, you can run your offense through him. It's not like you're passing to some big that can't make decisions and all these things. I still would be very surprised if Miami beat Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. Me too. So would, so would Vegas. Vegas has the Celtics on FanDuel right now. Celtics are minus 550. Here's the thing. And this, Lowry's this like a is, net positive for them now, too. Sorry to interrupt, but like, I mean, granted, I, I can't stand it, but like he goes out there and you're going, you know, he actually impacts the game in a positive way, despite a guy looked like he wouldn't get Agreed. any minutes. So go ahead. No, I agree with you. If you're, if you're going to make a case against Miami, I think it's, can they, can they do enough scoring against this team? You know, they've been able to score in the playoffs for whatever reason, but if the Celtics actually play defense, they have a lot of guys to throw at Butler, right? If they can slow him down, that would be one thing. And the other thing would be, you know, they're not exactly deep at wing defenders this year, which hasn't didn't hurt them in the Milwaukee series, right? Because Milwaukee, other than Middleton, they really had no wings who could 
create a shot. And then the Knicks, RJ just kind of fell apart as that series went along. Randall, I think for a team like Miami is a pretty easy guy to defend. I'm just talking about really good athletic scoring wings. Seems like an advantage for the uh, for the Celtics, not to mention the guards and the fact that they can they can play three guard lineups against them. They can quick the, quicken up the pace. They can do all these different kind of lineups depending on what the series needs. Whereas Miami kind of like, this is our team. Miami doesn't have a lot of flexibility. Like they're going to have to play Bam and Butler a lot of minutes. They're going to need to get a huge Lowry series. Other than that, like they, it's not like they have moves. Their moves are is that their coach is fucking smart. And every series, these players leave the series broken, right? By the end of game six, Randall and Barrett are like just fucking shells of themselves. You know, Brunson's like the only guy standing. To me, that's like coaching execution strategy. That's what they do. They just seize whatever you're bad at, whatever your weakness is, and they hone in on it. And if it's like this little cut, by the end of it, it's like this ax wound. The problem for them is that the Celtics just on paper just have so much more talent. So this would have to be a Spo, Butler, Bam, Lowry doing all his stuff. And then they're really going to need Caleb Barton. And they're going to need Struess, who has killed the Celtics in the past, right? They're going to need those five guys whatever they can get out of Duncan Robinson, whatever they can get out of Love, who I still don't think is shooting the ball that well. And you know Tyler Harrell's coming back. I'm just telling you now. He's coming back. I don't know about the Tyler Hero thing because it seems like he still has more hats. And so he might not be in a rush. <laughs> he, he just went to Chrome, bought a couple more outfits. He's bought a $2,500 <laughs> sweatshirt. So it feels a lot like you know, last year's Miami Eastern Conference Finals reminds me of the Sixer series the Celtics just got through. Like every game yeah. we start, you know, my dad called me like, who do you think is going to win? Like, I think Boss is going to win. <laughs> like, I think, I think Boss is going to win because I think they're better than them. And, I, and yeah. I, know, I know it still almost didn't happen. And yet, I think the gap this year is bigger than the gap last year. Uh, but well, you know, so you're, you made, just you, from last year, you're moving, Her- you're moving Hero and you're moving Tucker from last year's team. Right, yeah, and I remember Kevin Love and no, you, a better Caleb Martin. You said something though, like that's that sound really simple, but it's really smart. Thank you. You know, you only got to win four of these games, and right. if you look at the Philly series, like they got the two coin toss games on the Harden shots. <laughs> yeah, and you could argue Game Six though. Like at one point, you're like Boston's just gonna lose, I guess. I guess they're going to lose. And we'd be doing a 25-minute podcast on who the Celtics are, which we might be doing in two weeks if they were to lose to Miami the same way we're doing it about Philadelphia right now, right? That's just the game. But if Miami, you figure, is going to get smashed in two of them, <laughs> where the talent figure, gap will be. Two, two blowouts and two Butler games. So the series is already tied 2-2. Two, two. That's <laughs> the best of three. There you go. It's best of three. Can the Celtics win a Butler game? It's like, what would be my scouting report? Can you win the game where Butler has 41? Right. Or is Butler, you know, was he able to pace himself against the Knicks or was he not the same guy against the Knicks that he was against Milwaukee because he was the guy that he was against Milwaukee, which is daunting. We just saw it with Booker and Durant like yeah. it's impossible to be that guy by you know four or five games into a playoff right. series like I know we should we're going to spend some time with Phoenix and all the Durant stuff uh, but when I look at Durant shooting numbers it's going to sound like I'm protecting him but I, I saw a guy catching it and being like dribble into three people and shoot these brutal shots and he missed open ones too so the shooting numbers aren't great but what Butler was doing 
I don't know if any human athlete could sustain that amount of ex- like that exertion all the time. And luckily for him against the Knicks, they didn't need him to be that like he was against Milwaukee. And he's a bad the ankle. He, I don't think he's a hundred percent either. Yeah. You think Another like point. Durant and Booker, they had 86 and like 76 in those two games that they won, which was a lot. <laughs> we all talked about how a lot it was, but like <laughs> Tatum and Brown today had 76 combined. Like, when you're over 70 as a duo, it's so many points. It's a ridiculous amount. The Celtics, those two best guys today to get to 80, and Tatum had the best game of his entire life. So, yeah, I, look, it's, this will be a long series. There will be the game when when Lowry does a whole bunch of shit that I'm just out of my mind that I can't believe we just lost that game, and Lowry took five charges, and they're just reviewing block charges for an hour. Um, Butler will have two awesome games and it's going to come down to, they're just going to push everything towards smart and the guards and try to not let Tatum beat them would be my guesses. And then Bam, you know, there'll be the game where Bam has like six points and then he'll have a couple quotes. And then the next game they'll establish Bam at the foul line. He'll be fucking awesome. And they'll be like, why didn't they do that the last game? Like, I know all the beats of the series and it's going to go six or seven. It just is. Yeah, I think at the very beginning, you're going to have Boston going, oh, my God, look at all this room. Yeah. You know, look at on these drives of the hoop. Because Embiid, that's the worst I think I've seen the Celtics on drives all season long. And granted, it felt sustained because it's the same team that you're going up against for seven games. But like, if he was he was like a do not enter sign, man. He was great. Well, and then they pulled him away and he wasn't. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, look at this. This is who played for them in game seven. Butler played 41. I'm, I'm sorry, game six. Heat Knicks, game six. Butler played 41. Bam, 39. Gabe Vincent, 31. Struess, 34. Lowry, 31. Caleb Barton, 24. And then Love and Robinson and uh, Cody Zeller played nine minutes. He's their eighth man. Cody Zeller's playing and real he's been minutes pretty good. now. Yeah. yeah. He's been um, pretty good. Hey, let's, yeah. uh, what, let's take this to a part two because we got more stuff to do. We want to put up part one as fast as possible. Uh, part two will go up tonight at the normal time at, uh, at 12 at midnight. Basically this one is going up as fast as possible. Obviously, uh, it was produced by Jonathan Kerma, our guy stepping in for Kyle. Who's, uh, nobody's heard from Kyle in a couple of days. He might not ever be back. We'll see. We'll find out. Thanks to Steve Cerruti as well. Rusillo, Rusillo, I will see you for uh, part two. 